Jacob went on his way and God's angels met him. When he saw them, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called the place Manamai. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him and his, to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, you are to say to my Lord Esau, this is what your servant Jacob says. I've been staying at, um, with Laban and have been delayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves. I've sent this message to inform my Lord in order to seek your favour. When the messengers returned from Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. He is coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him into two camps, along with the flocks, cattle, and camels. He thought, if Esau wants to come to one camp and attacks it, the remaining camp can escape. Then Jacob said, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Go back to your land and your family, and I will cause you to prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Indeed, I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two camps. Please rescue from me the, rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. You have said, I will cause you to prosper, and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there and took part of what had brought him as a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He entrusted them to his slaves at separate herds and said to them, go on ahead of me and leave some distance between the herds. And he told the first one, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? Then tell him, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are gifts sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he is behind us. He also told the second one, the third one, and everyone who is walking behind the animals, say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You are also to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. For he thought, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. So the gift was sent on ahead of him while he remained in the camp that night. During the night, Jacob got, out, got up and took his two wives, his two female slaves and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across in the stream along with all of his possessions. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket, and they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Then Jacob, placed, Jacob named the place Penel, for I have seen God face to face, he said, and I have been delivered. The sun shone on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. That is why to this day, Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. 
Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming towards him with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female slaves. He put the female slaves and their children first, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times until he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. When Esau looked up to the, and saw the women and children, he asked, Who are these with you? He answered, the children, of God, the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female slaves and their children approached him and bowed down. Leah and her children also approached and bowed down. And then Joseph and Rachel approached and bowed down. So Esau said, What do you mean by this whole procession I met? To find favor with you, my lord, he answered. I have enough, my brother, Esau replied. Keep what you have. But Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face, and it is like seeing God's face, since you have accepted me. Please take my present that was brought to you, because God has been gracious to me, and I have everything I need. So Jacob urged him until he accepted. Good evening, everyone. Thanks very much, Bridget, for reading. Uh, my name is James. I'm part of the team here, and it's a great joy to be uh, working through the book of Genesis with you. Now, if you'll forgive the irony, uh, I've really been wrestling with this part of the Bible this week, the life of Jacob, trying to ascertain what it means for us, what God wants us to learn from this particular individual. He's a significant figure. He gets lots of uh, coverage in the book of Genesis, a lot of detail about his life. He's the father of Israel. We read his name changed from Jacob to Israel. What are we to learn from Jacob? The series, our series through Genesis has been all about promise, the way God makes and keeps promises. And I think Jacob's life is accounted for in so much detail because his life is the life of faith. We learn from him what it looks like to depend on God. Now, I'm not saying that because he's a great example He's a pretty dodgy character. We learned that last week. Uh, But as his life progresses, and particularly as we get to the climactic moments, we see Jacob learn lessons that we all need to learn. Uh, How do sinful, needy human beings relate to the God who has promised to bless us with so much? Uh, His lessons are our lessons, and they're very important. And I'm persuaded that we get to the heart of his lesson in that strange scene, uh, WrestleMania. Let's be honest, there is weird stuff in the Bible uh, and this falls within that category. We don't need to shy away from it. Um, But in this wrestling match, uh, there's riches. Riches for us to mine from God's word that we would know what faith looks like. So we'll get to WrestleMania But before we do that, I think it's helpful for us to just to catch up on the story so far to see where this event comes in Jacob's life. So I've put a map up uh, because that's helpful for some people and it's it's significant as well, uh, which I'll explain. So a few weeks, last week in fact, uh, not a few weeks ago, last week uh, Jacob and his family were in Beersheba, that's down the bottom. Jacob was a fraudster. He uh, bargained for Esau's birthright. And then he stole his blessing 
by impersonating Esau. You might m- remember his dodgy antics last week. And then he was a fugitive. I'm, I've, they're all F words. One of the things, one of the first things you learn if you're training to be a minister is how to summarise concepts using words that start with the same letter. Um, it's it's a basic uh, skill that we need to have. So that's why I've hopefully it helps you remember it uh, and follow along. Jacob was a fraudster. Then he was a fugitive. He fled from his family north uh, because Esau wanted to kill him, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, and then he stops at this place called Bethel, which means house of God. If you've heard of the dream Jacob has where he sees the, the staircase leading to heaven and the angels going up and down it, that's what happens there. And God says, Jacob, I'm with you. I will bring you back to this promised land. But at this stage, he is on the run. He's got nothing. He's, he's bolting. He heads north to that region called Haran or Padam Aran. That's where all his relatives are, um, Abraham's relatives. And he goes there to find a wife. Um, and so he becomes a fiancé. Uh, for seven years, would you believe? He wants to marry, he meets a girl at the well called Rachel. Uh, he wants to marry her. Rachel's father says, work for me for seven years and you can have her. Uh, the seven years come, he goes to the wedding, but there's a switcheroo. Uh, the father-in-law substitutes in Rachel's sister Leah and Jacob marries Leah instead. Uh, he, a bit of taste of his own medicine there, Jacob. Um, anyway, he, mar- he mar- ends up marrying both of them. That's the solution, isn't it? Just marry both. Um, they happen to be sisters. Uh, they also happen to be his cousins. So there you go. Uh, that's, that's the world of Genesis, a bit different to ours. Uh, he becomes a father. Uh, he has lots of children, uh, 12 sons and one daughter through four different women, Rachel, Leah, his two wives, and their two slaves. Um, I'm not going to touch that. That's pretty odd. Uh, not, not to be, I'm not, we're, no, we're not endorsing that. Um, just to state the obvious, um, loads of sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. He's a farmer. Uh, he looks after sheep with his father-in-law Laban, um, becomes very wealthy. And then finally, he's a foreigner. Uh, God says to him, go back to your home. Your home is the promised land. Don't hang, up, don't hang around up here. Go back to your home, the promised land. And so you see there, he makes his journey back towards the promised land. Uh, There's a problem though. Uh, God has said, I will give you the promised land, but there is a significant hurdle facing Jacob if he's to enter into the promised land and enjoy uh, all the blessings it has to offer. Now that hurdle, of course, uh, oh, this is Peniel, that's the place. Um, He's forlorn and fearful. I've forgotten all my animations. Uh, The hurdle is his brother Esau, the hairy red guy that we met last week. Uh, Last time Esau was on the scene, um, he wanted to kill Jacob. uh, But here's Jacob on the border of the promised land uh, at Peniel and he needs to deal with Esau. And that's what happens, uh, that's where we're up to in the story. Uh, He sends, at the beginning of chapter 32, he sends some messengers in to tell Esau he's on his way and to remind them how rich he is, hint, hint. Uh, But look at what the messengers come back with. So if you have your Bibles open, or your device, chapter 32, verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Uh, Jacob 
was greatly distressed and afraid. Um, Jacob, uh, greatly afraid and distressed, I should say. Uh, as you'd imagine, he's come back from a 20-year sojourn and the brother that he's wronged is approaching him with 400 men. It's um, quite understandable. Now, there's some, there's some good signs. He prays. Jacob prays for God's help and uh, acknowledges that he's unworthy of God's kindness. Big tick for that. But in, in and amongst his praying, he's still scheming. He's still trying to work out for himself how to solve this problem. That's kind of what Jacob was like, a self-reliant, um, manipulative, scheming sort of guy. So he does two things. Chapter 32, he splits his camp into two uh, and says, all right, Esau, if you're going to come and get me, you can have one camp, destroy them, I'll go off with this camp. Uh, he's hedging his bets. And then uh, towards the end of chapter 32, uh, he decides to bribe Esau. He organises all his cattle into uh, 10 different groups and says to his servants, parade, just take these groups of animals, parade them in front of Esau as a gift and tell them, look, these are a gift for you, Esau. Hey, Jacob is right behind us. Accept this gift. Uh, verse 20 gives us an insight into what he's thinking. Uh, he says, chapter 32, verse 20, I want to appease Esau with the gift that is going ahead of me. After that, I can face him and perhaps he will forgive me. So Jacob is singing, uh, I've got this. I've got this. Uh, I'll use my resources to buy my way out of trouble. And that's where we get uh, to WrestleMania. Uh, um, so before we get into that scene, there's one thing left to be said. Mm, let's get ready to rumble! Yeah. I'm having too much fun with that. It's, um, yeah, I grew up in the 90s watching WWE and things like that. Um, we're going to learn three things uh, in this wrestling match. Number one, Jacob is humbled. Number two, Jacob learns dependence. Uh, number three, Jacob experiences grace. And don't forget what I said at the beginning. Jacob's lesson is the lesson we all need to learn. Uh, the lesson of how God grows us into mature followers of his son Jesus that depend on him and uh, the kinds of people God can confer his promised blessings on. Now, if you're a visual thinker, we can actually organise these three points into what I call Jacob's J-curve. Um, uh, Jacob is humbled, and that sends him down to rock bottom. We'll, we'll get to that. But in rock bottom, he learns dependence, and he turns to God in faith. And he comes out, out the other side, assured and experiencing God's grace. Um, so... Uh, point one, Jacob is humble. That's what happens first in the wrestling scene. Uh, so we're looking now from 32, verse 24. Uh, all the family have sort of crossed uh, the river on the way to the promised land, on the way to Jacob. In verse 24, Jacob's left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. What's going on? Now, just to clear up one or two things, uh, the identity of this man 
at this stage is a mystery. He doesn't identify himself. But by the end of the, the account, we do have sufficient evidence to say that this man is some kind of divine figure, uh, and the angel of God, an angel perhaps um, manifest in, in human flesh. We, by the end, it's really clear that Jacob, this man, represents God. So we don't want to get distracted uh, by the, the mysterious nature of this figure. Another distraction that I just want to clear up is we might look at this and think, it seems out of place. This seems uh, like, like a, a dream or some kind of metaphor. Uh, but when we read the text, it just presents as if it really happened. This was a real event. Uh, Jacob incurred a real injury as his ongoing hip issues uh, testify. Uh, this is just a real event, but it does have significant symbolic teaching value and that's kind of uh, what we're looking at tonight anyway the man saw this verse 25 the man saw that he could not defeat him so he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip Um, now the it's it seems odd if this guy is God that he can't defeat Jacob Uh, but I don't think that's telling us so much about the impotence uh, of, of this divine figure, it's telling us more about Jacob's strength, uh, his, his grit and determination. Right throughout Jacob's life, uh, we've seen this side of his character, his determination to win blessing for himself, to use his, whatever he has at his disposal, his wits, uh, his perseverance, his, his shrewdness. He, he uses what he has... Uh, at his disposal to solve his problems uh, and, and win success in, in whatever sort of endeavour he's up to. Jacob was a strong guy. Uh, but the downside of having strength like that is that you become self-reliant and proud. This was Jacob's problem. Uh, he was a self-reliant, uh, proud person who was under the impression the false impression that he could control his life. And more than that, that he could uh, bribe and bargain his way into God's blessings. His big flaw was self-reliance. And if you're going to have a relationship with God, self-reliance like that, uh, an overinflated sense of of our abilities, uh, that's a problem. When God sees self-reliance like that, uh, he opposes it. He, he chips away at us so that uh, it goes away and we're left with humility and dependence. Um, and in many respects, we're a bit like Jacob, aren't we? We, we can go through life uh, thinking that we have life under control, that if I do this and do that and get that mark at uni and get that job, I'll end up prosperous and happy Uh, and life will work out. And even in spiritual affairs, even in spiritual affairs, uh, aren't we guilty of thinking, uh, if if I come to church every week, if I read my Bible, if I do this and I avoid that, well, I'll I'll look after things. God will will have me. I can earn my way into his kindness. We might not say it that explicitly, but I wonder if we think like that sometimes. Uh, well, God doesn't stand for that. 
Uh, Jacob uh, needed to be shown that he was weak rather than strong. And this is what the hip injury is about. The man, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Um, Now, the word struck there, I think more often than not in the Bible is translated touched. So you, you look at the original language, the better word is touched. So this divine figure merely touches Jacob and his hip is dislocated. Um, uh, it's a reminder that God, in his immense power, uh, can touch any of us with uh, a change of circumstances, uh, an illness, uh, a condition, uh, some kind of relationship turmoil. He can touch any of us uh, with just the lightest touch and it brings us to our knees. I'm sure you know this from experience. Uh, Having spoken to some of you, I'm aware of all manner of trials and hardships that you're going through. Illnesses, diagnoses, bereavements, relationship breakdowns, all manner of things. Uh, For some of us, it's besetting sins that we just can't seem to overcome. Uh, For others, it's uh, just mental health struggles that make us feel really weak and incapacitated. Uh, There's all kinds of ways that God uh, uses our circumstances in our life to teach us. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that if you're going through some kind of hardship like this, that you're dodgy like Jacob and that God's teaching you a lesson. Now, I don't have the ability to say that with, with absolute certainty. Um, but we do know from the, the full sweep of biblical teaching that God does send afflictions to us to humble us. Um, It's a hard truth, but he does it out of love. Why? So that we would be weaned off self-reliance and learn to trust him. And that is a lesson that Jacob, of all people, needed to learn. Now, uh, the best thing for us to do in this moment, if we recognize we're at rock bottom, uh, is to learn dependence on God. This is what Jacob does. Now, this is probably the first time uh, in the account of Jacob he sets us forth with a good example. Um, he, he learns dependence on God. Verse 26, um, this guy says to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Uh, his hip has just been dislocated. I imagine the normal response if your hip is dislocated, is to call an ambulance and uh, take some painkillers. It's very painful, uh, I imagine. Jacob, all of his customary strength and determination that we've come to expect from Jacob, it's finally turned to the right end. It's not put to to bad use in terms of schemes and deceptions and plots. Now, his strength is employed as he desperately clings onto God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. He must have discerned by this stage that the fellow that he's dealing with, if, if, 
if a touch can put out his hip, well, he must be powerful enough to bless me as well. And he clings on to this divine figure uh, with just grit, persistence uh, and determination. Uh, If you find yourself at rock bottom, whatever that might be for you, uh, feeling weak, uh, feeling unable to control what's going on in your life, uh, the lesson here is to cling to God. Hold fast to him. Don't let go. Don't believe the lie that God is unable to bring you the blessings that he promises. It might not happen in this life, but it'll happen in eternity. Don't believe the lie that he's unable to bring you blessing, to give you a life of satisfaction and fulfillment. And don't Don't give up and turn to other philosophies of life, other people, other religions, other anything else in this world uh, that you believe can offer you uh, the the life you desire. It's a myth. Cling to God. Hold fast to his promises and order your life around them. That's what Jacob does. He clings to God in his weakness and helplessness. Now, the second way Jacob learns dependence, as well as clinging to God, he also confesses his sin. Now, you might be looking at the page thinking, well, where do you get that from? It doesn't really look like that. Well, it's all in his name. It's all in his name. In the Bible, you may have picked up, names carry a lot of significance. They tend to indicate character. Um, And we know Jacob here, he's about to have his name changed, but his name has always uh, been a big theme in the story of his life. Um, So back in chapter 25, just after he was born, uh, after this, after Esau was born, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob, which literally means someone that grasps the heel someone ahead of him, someone who grabs uh, people and pull them back in order that they can get ahead. I have a very vivid uh, recollection of my wife doing that when we went go-karting with our sons in New Zealand last year, but I won't share that story with you. Um, She cheated. Um, There you go. There you are. Are you watching on YouTube, Amy? Um, It's it's a well-known story in our family. Don't worry. Um, But she's, she's nowhere near as bad as Jacob. It was an isolated incident. All right, dig up, (laughs) dig up, dig up, James. Um, But Jacob means someone that grasps the heel. And over time, it came to mean someone that schemes and cheats. Um, And that's what we see in chapter 27. So after Jacob stole the blessing, Esau comes into his father. uh, And they're, they're both pretty angry with what's happened. And he says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Uh, for he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and look, now he has taken my blessing. So Jacob's m- name conveys the, uh, just the scumbag character that he was. Uh, and so when we, in verse 27, when this divine figure asks him, what's your name? It's tantamount to him saying, hey, you, 
Tell me what you're really like. Acknowledge your sins before me. Own up to it. And what does Jacob do? Uh, He doesn't hide. He doesn't try to minimize. He simply says, Jacob, that's me. Uh, All the stuff you've heard about, uh, the stuff you've seen, my lies, my scheming, uh, I, I did that. That was me. Jacob confesses his sin to this divine figure. That's an essential element of depending on God, isn't it? Coming to him uh, in vulnerability and spiritual desperation, acknowledging uh, that we are unworthy of his kindness. In fact, uh, if he was to treat us as we deserved, we would be punished and judged. But the attitude God desires in his people is one of humble, contrite dependence, acknowledging our faults and asking for his grace. And that's what Jacob does. In, this, in his depths, he learns to depend on God. Uh, he's both helpless uh, and humble, needy of God's kindness. And so what do we see the response is? Verse 28, uh, well... Today your life changes, the divine figure says. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, I don't think it means that Jacob defeated God. He hasn't demonstrated superior strength to God. But in the, vic- in the life of faith, uh, he has prevailed. He, is, he has learnt to depend on God. Victory and, and success in the Christian life, in, in growing in our relationship with God, doesn't come through strength. It comes through weakness. As we learn to beg God to meet our needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs. Jacob has prevailed in the life of faith. Um, there's, a, there's a book I've been reading uh, called The J-Curve, quite a coincidence. Um, and uh, this author's definition of faith is quite helpful. It um, doesn't say everything, but, it, but it's helpful. It says, faith is helplessness plus crying out for grace. Uh, in other words, faith recognises our need before God, um, that we, we're utterly helpless, and in our helplessness, We cry out for his grace. Um, That's the lesson Jacob learns uh, in this wrestling match. Uh, It's the lesson we need to learn. Now, uh, point three, heading three. Jacob has been humbled. He's been brought low. He's learned to depend on God. But uh, the outcome of this, uh, this lesson is that he truly experiences God's grace. In verse 29, um, uh, the fellow blesses him. In verse 31, in a poignant symbolism, the sun shone on Jacob as he passed by uh, Penuel. But perhaps more compelling is what happens next in chapter 33. Remember the great crisis that he faced. Uh, the encounter with his murderous and angry brother. As he approaches Esau and entering into the promised land, 
Jacob deserved judgment. He deserved revenge from the brother he'd wronged. Uh, But what do we read? Chapter 33, verse 4. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. Isn't that astonishing? Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then they wept. Um, The grace that Jacob experienced uh, in the the reception of his brother Esau uh, was just a picture of the incredible grace God showered upon him when he turned back in dependence. And I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus had this scene in mind when he delivered the parable of the prodigal son. You might know this story about a father with two sons. Uh, one stays at home, but one goes and squanders his inheritance and ends up uh, living amongst the pigs and then comes back to the father groveling. It's very much a similar story to Jacob's story. Someone returning to the family, seeking reconciliation. And this is just part of the story. So these are Jesus' words. Um, I'll get up, in in the character of the the son, I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. It is, it is almost identical to the way Esau treated Jacob. Uh, and for Jesus, this father is a picture of God's love for his children. People that turn back to him, uh, not with pride and self-reliance, but with humility and need. And friends, be assured, be assured that uh, if anyone... Uh, wants to inherit God's blessing, to, to find themselves in the promised land of the new creation where we'll see God face to face, rest assured that you approach God with humility and dependence, asking for his grace, this is the response that you will get. And Jacob, Jacob knows it. Uh, for him, the grace of God was absolutely visible in the face of Esau. Just have a look at 33 verse 10. 33 verse 10. Jacob's trying to give, Jacob, uh, give Esau gifts um, as, a, as a gesture of gratitude. Uh, he says, Jake, and Esau's refusing. Jacob says, no, please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your face and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. He gets it. He gets it. And seeing the grace of God in the face uh, of a fellow human being, an older brother, well, that's a familiar theme, isn't it? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, when we approach Jesus uh, deserving of judgment, 
and recompense, uh, on, we get grace, mercy, gentleness, adoption into God's family. Um, it's amazing grace. So folks, I hope you will uh, learn something of Jacob's lesson. Uh, God forbid you go through the trials that he went through or uh, the, the very rock bottom moments of life. Uh, but if you do, uh, learn dependence on God uh, and be assured of his grace towards you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Jacob, the lessons he's learnt uh, through this strange wrestling match. Father, we know that you are powerful and you, it's your desire to humble your people and bring them to their knees that they might be weaned off uh, self-reliance and pride and rather learn to trust you. We know we can trust you because you're a father who loves us uh, and longs to be gracious towards us. Help us to learn dependence on you. Uh, We thank you especially that as we do that, you assure us of your favour because of uh, your son Jesus and what he's done. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.